to episode 74 of the Lace Mob Podcast. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Dubuff. Probably our voices are a little sore because we were cheering for our respective teams, so yeah. one of them is moving on. I think we all know what that is, but we'll talk about uh, the Bruins-Sens matchup, how that ended. Uh, also, a couple of shockers, including the Hawks. Of all the teams to get swept, the Chicago Blackhawks are done in four straight uh, other than the super homer fan from Nashville, who saw that coming, really. Right. Uh, so we'll talk about the Blackhawks' demise. Uh, also, the Canadians are done. That's a bit of a shocker there, so we'll talk about that. And um, in rapid-fire news, we got our second double firing in as many weeks. A GM and a head coach are gone. Um, what is going on with all these coaching casualties in the offseason? I haven't seen this many in quite some time. Um, we're going to talk about that. Also, Don Anderson, uh, um, a linesman, a veteran linesman in the NHL, suing Dennis Weidman and the Calgary Flames. We'll get you the details on that. And also, we got some award nominations, and uh, we'll talk about how that intertwines with uh, the Vegas draft. But first, shout-outs to all the players past and present who have worn number 74 in the NHL. Uh, today, we got quite a few um Playing in the game, John Carlson of the Capitals, Mark Borowiecki, Borokov as we call him here in Ottawa, Alexi Emlin of the Montreal Canadiens. In 2001 with Boston, believe it or not, Paul Coffey wore number 74. Mm. There's an odd name for you. Yeah. Uh, from 2012 to 2014 in Anaheim, Peter Holland wore that number with the Ducks, a former Leaf and current member of the Arizona Coyotes. Now, uh, T.J. Oshie, of course, he wore number 74. The reason why he's wearing number 77 now is because John Carlson wears number 74, as we just mentioned. Uh, Andre Pallad, believe it or not, in 2013 as a rookie with the Tampa Bay Lightning, wore number 74. Uh, UC Saros, Pecorino's backup in Nashville, wears number 74, as does Jakob Slavin, Dwight King, and as did Sergei Kostitsin and Jay McKee. So to all of them and to all the players we didn't mention, this podcast is for you. It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. Yeah, uh, I guess there were a fair amount of people who wore number 74. So that's Yeah, cool. more than we probably know. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, so yeah, we'll start the show. All uh, eight series in the first round ended. It was pretty exciting, even though there were no Game 7s. Um, in fact, there were 18 OTs, which in the first round... And that's a record uh, for the most OTs in a round um, in NHL history, um, which is even more impressive when you consider that there were one no game sevens, uh, two sweeps, and then uh, two series ending in five games. So um, that's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. But we'll start the we'll start the show with Nashville um, shocking the nation. Um, and they, as they sweep Chicago, they become the first eighth seed to sweep a one seed. Um, later in the day, Bowman, Stan Bowman, the uh, Chicago GM. We'll talk about Nashville's um, dominance in a second, but we'll talk about Chicago's demise right now. Ba- Stan Bowman said that Chicago needs to make changes in the offseason because... Um, uh, because this is unacceptable. Um, 
I'm not sure this will happen because I was just looking at their cap friendly page. It's interesting. There's not much they can really do though because they have. Um, I'll get to you in a second, Steve. But uh, Patrick, yeah, Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taze, uh, Marion Hosa, and Nisimov have no movement clauses. Kane and Taze are probably deserve that, and that's no complaints there. Hosa and Nisimov is a little strange to have a no movement clause, but they're all like that's like a top order for them. And then for defense, uh, defensemen, you have Seabrook, Keith, and Hiljalmerson, who also have no movement clauses. And then you have, of course, uh, Corey Crawford, who also has no movement clauses. So it's not really like unless one of those guys want to uh, get rid of their new, no movement clauses, there's not much they can really do. Um, like, I was also looking at, guess how many people, players, are uh, paid more than $1 million today uh, on the Blackhawks roster? One, two, three. There's like 13 million, there's 13 players who have it, and the rest don't, which is like... Uh, which is kind of a crazy amount. Let me just double one, two, three, four, five. Just want to make sure my mouth's right. Yeah. Eleven. Sorry, eleven. Which is okay. even worse. Um, so that's like, uh, um, which is an interesting fact because like the rest of the guys aren't really, and I think that's pretty much why Chicago didn't really do so well, other than Pekarene doing incredibly, uh, which I'll. I'm sorry, I kind of bury the lead. I'm I'm all over the place here. So, um, so Steve, let, talk about whatever you want. Either the Chicago's demise or Nashville's dominance. I'm in this series. Well, like I'll, I'll admit that Nashville deserves some credit, but I think it, when when you look at a team that won the Western Conference, no less. Yep. And despite you know the mediocre power play, the mediocre penalty kill, they still found a way to finish first in the Western Conference. And in Game 3, the Blackhawks grabbed their first lead of the series. It took them two games and a bit to do that. They're outshot in three of the four periods in Game 3. And because I said four periods, we all know they failed to hang on to that two-goal lead, so it went to overtime. But no big deal. They can find a way to win. Uh, and then... Nashville wins and Chicago's down three nothing, and that's just the second time since they made it back to the playoffs in two thousand nine where the Hawks have been down three games to none. It's incredible to see, and in Chicago's defense, I was giving them the benefit of the doubt because they're one of those teams that you can never count them out until they're done, and and you know the proverbial dagger has been thrusted into their hearts. And on the one occasion where they were down three nothing prior to this, it was twenty eleven against Vancouver. Right. They forced a game seven. They forced that game seven into overtime, and they almost won it. So nothing seems to keep the Chicago team down. Like, surely yeah. you would think they get a game or two. But you look at game four, they they lose four to one. In the final 20, Corey Crawford and his teammates give up three goals on six shots. Brent Seabrook, one of the top defensemen on Chicago's roster for years, two giveaways in this game. Yeah. These look nothing like the Chicago Blackhawks that we're used to seeing. No. This team only led for 22 minutes and 57 seconds the entire series. Yeah. And they got blanked in the first two games. Three goals total in this four-game series. 
Um, and you look, and you just look at the stat line: Kanan Taves, two points; Panarin, yep. no goals, one assist; Oso was pointless. All of these guys that did so well before the start of the NHL playoffs, and you're just watching them hit and miss the entire way. And you, you gotta wonder about uh, Joel Quenville and if his job is on the line because yeah. just look at the Kings. They fired Daryl Sutter and Dean Lombardi after they missed the playoffs for the second time in the last three years. And while Chicago's made the playoffs in every year since 2009, they've been a first-round exit in back-to-back seasons. Right. And again, they were although, Western Conference champions. So although Stan, last, Bowman's gotta yeah. be, Stan Bowman has every right to say, yeah, there's got to be some changes. As to what, I don't know. Right. But I even think Glenville, as a coach, I don't even think he's safe. Well, that's why I was mentioning the cap-friendly pages. It's like, I don't even know if there are changes you can make or, like, there's an easy fix that you can make and say, like, oh, that that's an easy fix. That's what we've got to do. Um, I am, rem- uh, apparently, so I was listening to another uh, podcast, uh, Merrick and Wyshynski, um, and they were talking about how Patrick Kane was interviewed, and he said that, like, when you look, like they won, a, the Blackhawks won a lot of their games in overtime, and that kind of gave the Blackhawks a false sense of security in terms of, like they thought that they were better than they actually are because they won most of their games in overtime. When in reality, um, you know, winning in regulation is more important. So um, I thought that was an interesting quote from Patrick Kane. Is that like, you know, they felt like they were better than that, even though. Um, they weren't, or that's why like people felt that way. Um, I do want to give credit to Pekarine. He's uh, he might be the hottest goalie so far, other than Jack Jake Allen that we're talking about, which we'll talk about in a second. But he has a nine seventy six save percentage. Um, he only allowed like eight goals or something like that, and three of those were in the last uh, game. So uh, kudos to Pekarine. Um, he's 34 years old, which is crazy. Um, and, um, yeah, so, I mean, it's interesting. I don't, I'm not really sure what Chicago can do because they have a lot of guys, like, they have a lot of money tied to, like, these eight players. Um, and unless one of those guys wants to move, I don't think there's much you can really do because the rest of the, the rest of the players aren't really, um, you know, don't have a ton of experience and whatnot. So um, we'll have to see. It'll be interesting to see what they do, but I don't think they can. It has to be something drastic, right? Well, it, I, I think everyone's just assuming that they're going to go back to their winning ways, you yeah. know, the dynasty. But, like, in 2015, they won 11 games by one goal in the right. playoffs. So they really found a way to win those close games, and that didn't happen this yeah, year. Yeah. So I guess you could say luck ran out on them, time ran out on them, but still it's alarming when they don't even lead for like 30 minutes in a series. It's yeah. it's staggering how quickly things fell off the rails for this team. Yeah, um, let's get going though. Uh, so Saint, uh, speaking of hot goaltenders, uh, yeah. St. Louis, uh, Jake Allen pretty much kind of won them the series. Um, against Minnesota, uh, it was in five games. The reason why I say they want Jake Allen won the series was uh, Jake Allen was uh, was arguably better than uh, uh, Pekarene. Uh, this series, he like stopped fifty one shots 
in game one. He stopped, I think he stopped 41 in game three or something like that. Um, and, um, yeah, so he's been incredible. Uh, the scary thing is, is like guys like Tarasenko and Paul Stasny and, uh, Jaden Schwartz haven't really gotten going yet. Um, and like once those guys get going, then, you know, the blues will actually be pretty scary, but, um, I think that's really the story. Uh, Bruce Boudreau said after the series ended that the better team, uh, lost the series, um, which is an interesting quote because usually, like, I get what he's saying. Like, you know, Minnesota pretty much had possession the entire series. They had the most shots in all five of the games. But at the same time, they lost the four, you know, four games. So you can't really say, like, the better team lost when um, they did lose. I, I feel like, I don't know, I feel like St. Louis Blues kind of deserve to win that series. So... Um, what do you say about that? Well, uh, from what I heard, Bruce Boudreaux thought that Allen was pretty good. Didn't necessarily call <laughs> St. Louis the better team in this series, but as he added, they won the four games they needed in order to advance. And, th- right. and that's all people care about is, did did you win the games? And Boudreaux's team didn't. Again, uh, in round one, um, whether it's Boudreaux, whether it's Minnesota, for whatever reason, yeah. it, it, the, the struggle to go deep in the playoffs is very, very real. Um, right. For Bruce Boudreaux or and and for Minnesota too, because they were first round exits last year to Dallas as well, and and um, they they were tremendously unmatched. But this this was a series that I picked Minnesota to win. I thought it was going to take seven games, just simply because the Blues were going to give them a good run for their yeah. money. I didn't expect the Blues to win I... simply because the Minnesota Wild were too good to lose. Yep, and they just didn't get the timely goals, and and St. Louis got enough of that, and that's why they won. I I, I was the one who predicted St. Louis was going to win, but I didn't expect yeah. this. Um, I thought it was going to take them seven games to win this. I felt like they were the hotter team coming into the event, and Minnesota was struggling, so I thought that was going to be it. But I didn't expect Jake Allen to go off. Um, and like the rest of, cause that's not how they've been winning these games. So, um, I thought, so I did predict St. Louis, but I didn't predict this exact score. So that's, um, yeah. Now, now just quickly. Yep. How, did you know this stat that the blues are, uh, and this didn't include their game five win 11, one and one in their last 13 road games. You can make it 12, one and one after their winning game five. They went three and zero inside the state of hockey in this oh. series, so they obviously don't care about home ice one bit. No, no, they don't. St. Louis can which win is, anyway, which is good. I mean, they'll get home ice uh, against Nashville, but um, yeah, I guess it's uh, it's interesting. I guess they don't need home ice. Um, Yes, yeah, so speaking of which, uh, we're going to preview Nashville and St. Louis. Um, it's going to be an interesting battle because it's like the two hottest goalies in Jake Allen and Pecorine. Um, I, uh, it all depends on if we think like how bad Chicago was and versus how bad Minnesota was. Because like if yeah. Chicago is like really bad, I feel like then St. Louis will, you know, would crush them just because they had a harder opponent. But, um, 
I'm going to go with Nashville, and I think it's going to be close, so I'll say Nashville in seven. Yeah, just looking at Jake Allen's numbers, 174 saves on 182 shots entering round two, 1.47 GA, 956 yeah. save percentage. Rene, 123 saves on 126 shots, two shutouts and two assists, yep. which is ridiculous. Also, he has like a .7 uh, like GAA or something like that. GAA, yeah. That's incredible. Um, at bottom line, both these goalies are going to look human in this series. I think it goes seven. Yep. And while I want Nashville to win, I think it's going to be St. Louis. So we both agree it's going to go to seven games. We yeah. both pick opposite teams. Yeah. But I hope in my heart Nashville goes to the conference finals. Yeah. I'll be, their fans have been waiting a long time for this. I'll tell I'll tell you this much. I'll be like even if let's say St. Louis does win this series, um, I'll be rooting for St. Louis for the rest of the way. Um, but like Nashville, like it's the winner of this series will be my bandwagon team. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll say that much. Um, all right, let's go to the other Western Conference uh, bracket. Anaheim sweeps Calgary. Um, I actually, I think I did predict that this would be a sweep. I think this was the only sweep that I pre- I thought was going to happen, but um, other than Nashville, um, which I didn't predict. Um, but uh, Anaheim sweeps Calgary. It's they seem kind of pretty easy with that. I do remember there was one game where Bernier uh, came in for Gibson. That was game three. Yeah, that was game three. Yeah, and then uh, Bernier uh, like kept them like he. He played phenomenally well um, for the, uh, you know, Gibson to come back, or I mean the Ducks to come back in the end and score and win in overtime. That was the only time that I felt like that series was ever in doubt for the Ducks. But, um, yeah, the uh, uh, the Ducks look good. Uh, I don't know if there's that much much else we can really say about them. I think there were the... Um. Well, the, not for the Ducks, but for, for the Flames, there, there's actually oh. a lot can be said. But you, you can uh, continue with your point. Uh, yeah, you know. I actually, oh, I did see that. Um, hold on, let me, you can, uh, if you want to talk. Okay. Well, at that game where we talked about uh, Gibson being pulled for Bernie, that was game three. The Flames are up four to one. I remember this moment late in the second period. Corey Perry was checked into the Flames bench. Looking for a stick, Calgary players... Don't want him to get it. They're trying to make sure he doesn't get it. As that's happening, Shane Theodore walks in, shoots one high glove, and Brian Elliott whiffs on it. That 4-2 goal turned this series around because the Ducks came back, forced overtime, then won game three. And there was serious doubt that Brian Elliott was – well, I don't know if serious doubt, but I think there was some doubt because you saw Gillies and Johnson both on the ice uh, in the practice before game four. But you look at Brian – Elliott's numbers against the Ducks lifetime, 1-7-3 in the regular season, 3.20 GAA, 884 save percentage. In the playoffs, 0-3-0 lifetime against the Ducks, 3.96 GAA, ugly 887 save percentage, which is just slightly better than his regular season numbers. And then Gullitson turns to him because, you know, Brian Elliott ultimately saved their season midway through. Like, they're not even in the playoffs if it's not for Brian Elliott. And then third shot of the game, another suspect goal goes in. He gets yanked, third shot of the game, like just over five minutes in. And the Flames, again, can't recover in time. And it's just those particular plays in the game, those 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 plays that you need your goalie to make, and the Flames didn't get enough of that. 
uh, from Brian Elliott, especially in games three and four. He just yeah. couldn't get it done for them. And I think it, in the game of mistakes, the Ducks won. And you look at the sweep, all four games essentially were decided by a goal. Yeah. And even and before you say, oh, yeah, the game four was three to one, final goal scored eight seconds left on an empty net. <laughs> yeah. So for the most part, it was a two to one game. Right. But like it, it was a sweep, but it didn't feel like a sweep. Like this could have gone either way. Yeah. Um, and I think you could argue Calgary wins that game if, if Elliott plays even average, but just really yeah. let them down. And you got to wonder, Ben Bishop was um, a target for them in the offseason before they got Elliott. Yeah. Uh, it makes you wonder with Ben Bishop as a free agent, with Elliott also as a free agent, and you consider the way Brian finished the year, the way he started the year, it, it makes you wonder, do they sign Ben Bishop and ditch Brian Elliott in the offseason? Yeah, that would be an interesting move uh, for sure. I'm sure Bishop will be a hot commodity come the offseason. Um, that could be an interesting one. I feel like that's their biggest weakness, the Flames, is their goaltending. But um, we'll have to see what they do. Actually, what so I, also is interesting is that they were outscored 10-2 to two in 5-on-5 five five play. Their yep. special teams are great. 5-on-5, five five, for whatever reason, I can't explain it, but Anaheim yep. is just better than them. Um, I found this stat here. Ducks haven't lost in regulation in 18 consecutive games. That dates back to March, like the end of March, basically. Um, also, you you just mentioned, like, you know, uh, I think you just mentioned the all the Ducks, that Game 3 comeback. Um, yeah. Guys like uh, Ricard Raquel, Shea Theodore have five points. Uh, Nate Thompson has four points. Uh, Kevin BX has four points. Um, Corey Perry has three points. Kessler has one point. Um, so those guys have to, you know, um, I feel like, you know, it, like in past past Ducks teams, it's always been like Getzlaff and Perry, the, they kind of ride or die with the team. And it's kind of nice that like guys like Jacob Silverberg, Raquel, Theodore, as I just mentioned, Bieksa, Thompson, um, Patrick Eves, they all like are you know contributing, and that's kind of what you need in the Stanley Cup. It's a lot of depth guys that are yeah. uh, filling in their roles when you know the stars can't do it. So, um, gotta give credit to those guys. Um, the uh, Edmonton Oilers defeated San Jose in six. This is a little bit more surprising. I think we both thought San Jose was going to win. Um, this is a lot like the, um, you know, St. Louis and Minnesota in terms of like the hotter team won, um, even though San Jose was better at the beginning of the year, unlike Minnesota was better in the beginning of the year too. Um, but, uh, yeah, Edmonton won. Uh, it is interesting. Cam Talbot, uh, has been phenomenal. Uh, we got to give credit to him. Guys like Oscar Clefbaum has been great too. Um. Uh, yeah, Cam Talbot has a 9.27 save percentage, uh, GA of 2.03, which isn't terrible. Uh, Connor McDavid, of course, is doing well. Four points. Uh, Drysaitel, Letestu, Clefbaum have three points. Um, I feel like that needs to be better. Like their scoring needs to be better if they want to beat the Ducks. But, um, yeah. I th- I assume you have a lot more on the Oilers. Than oh, yeah. 
Yeah, I got a lot on everything. Yeah, <laughs> we yeah. haven't even gotten to the Bruins' sends yet. But, I know, I know. Um, heading into game four, um, the big talk was where the San Jose's big guns were. I mean, Brent Burns led all playoff participants, not just on the Sharks, period, all playoff participants with 10 giveaways in the first three games. Uh, gets three assists in game four. Couture, Pavelski both had two goals. And then you look at Schlemko, Ward, and Marlowe. They had two points apiece. And for the first time, we were wondering, you know, when's Cam Talbot going to look human? Uh, game four, uh, five goals and 24 shots, pulled for Laurent yep. Brossois. Um, McDavid, the Sharks are also getting to him. He was running around and hitting guys instead of scoring goals. He took a penalty that led to the 3 nothing goal. Um, the special teams and the Sharks also came up big in game four. 11 shots on goal, four for eight. Um, they scored once on their first 14 tries. So you, you thought, you know, they were going to turn the corner uh, in game four after being shut out in games two and three. Um, and and you just looked at the Oilers as a team, like four goals on 15 shots in the second period alone, just in general, a, a, a night you want to forget, but also a night that you have to learn from. And if you look at game five, the Sharks were up two to one after 20 minutes. They outshoot Edmonton 16 to 13. So it looks like all of the momentum is on San Jose's side. But midway through the second, when the Sharks were up 3-1, to one, you slowly saw Edmonton start to run away with the series because from the second period onward in Game 5, Couture and company only managed 14 shots on goal. They, again, they had 16 shots in the opening period, 14 shots the rest of the way. That won't do you any good. And then you look at the Oilers, 13 in the second, 8 in the third. And then the big part was the unsung hero stepping up. I mean, you look at David Deharnay. Like, he sets up Oscar Clefbaum's equalizer to tie it at three. Late in the first overtime, scores the OT winner. A period in which the Sharks were outshot 14-2. to two. And you, you almost wonder if Edmonton, again, was starting to get to them because the Sharks blocked 38 shots in that, ga- in that game five. And then you look at the early start to game six. Oilers get two breakaway goals in less than a minute, I believe, into the second period. That essentially took the rend out of San Jose's sale. They never fully recovered. Even though the Oilers had 21 total shots on goal, they were able to come away with game six. And I think that's what this series came down to. The Oilers' big gun stepped it up when they needed to. The San Jose big, the San Jose scores, for the most part, that they relied on heavily all year were pretty much invisible, with the exception of game four. And... Cam Talbot just made the saves he needed to, and Martin Jones didn't do enough of that. But I think, for the most part, San Jose's top guns let him down. Yeah, I am kind of wondering if this is it for San Jose. Like, are they done for, it? like, is this their, like, time when they're on the decline now? I well, mean, we, I, I think we said that before the start of uh, yeah. last year when they made it to the finals, you know? Right, like, but that's kind of what I mean. Like, are they going to be, like, is this now, are they going to start, like, are they going to make the playoffs next year? I don't know. Um, I know Joe Thornton and Patrick Marlowe probably aren't going to be on the team anymore. Um, Pavelski's pretty old. Um, Logan Couture is getting up there, so I don't know. We'll see. Um, it's kind of like time for guys like Thomas Hurdle and, um, you know, Melker Carlson to get going and Timo Meyer uh, to, uh, you know, step up and be that guy, but it might be the end for those four guys that I mentioned at the beginning. Um, so uh, let's do an Anaheim-Edmonton preview. Um, I I like Anaheim in this. 
Um, I like th how their depth is going well. Uh, the one issue I think I have with them is, like, you know, Gibson has to be on his game. Um, and he only, like, faltered that one game in the third game, you know, th game three. But uh, Bernier was pretty good for them. So uh, Anaheim was able to do it. and it's But, like, that's, like, something that, you know, Edmonton will need to, you know, Edmonton's not going to, like, you know, run out of energy um, like Calgary kind of did. So, um, and Cam, Cam Talbot's different than Brian Elliott, at least in this playoff. So, um, it will be a lot tougher opponent, but at the same time, Edmonton really only has Connor McDavid, um, still. So I, I'm going to say Anaheim in six, um, maybe five, but I'm going to stay, say with six. Um, I like Anaheim in this. Well, I look at, uh... Uh, the Calgary series, uh, Anaheim was actually outshot 138 to 122. Every game except game one, they were outshot in that yep. round one series, and they still were able to win it. Um, again, you're right. Edmonton is far different than Calgary. You look at the way they school the Sharks, you can't say, oh, lack of experience, you know, that's going to hurt them. Yep. They've won a playoff series now. Um, so we can't really say that about them. Um, I think it actually goes seven games, but I still okay. say the Ducks are going to win. Um, but I, I think I still stand by my point that fatigue is going to catch up to Cam Talbot at some point. We saw a bit of that in the Sharks series in yep. game four in particular. Edmonton was able to overcome it then, but if it happens in round two, I think it's really going to bite them, especially when you consider that Anaheim's had a couple more days off than Edmonton does. And you look at the fact that, um, you know, that like, you know, the whole rest, you know, is it going to help? Is it going to hurt them? You know, this this gives guys like Cam Fowler who were injured on Anaheim time to rest up right. and perhaps be ready for round yeah, that two. Will be a... And either of those guys could be difference makers. So I, I like Anaheim in this, but again, I hope I'm wrong because I really want to see how far the Oilers can take this. Yeah. Um, so I think at the very least it goes seven, but I have Anaheim winning this one. Yeah, that will be a key for them. I forgot about the Cam Talbot injury. If Cam, I mean, and the Cam Fowler. Um, if Cam Fowler isn't up for speed that might uh, hinder the Ducks and they might miss him. But then again, Shea Theodore was, uh, um, and Hampus Lindholm were up for the challenge, so they were willing to step up. So I feel like they might not need Camp Fowler, maybe. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, let's go to the Rangers in Montreal uh, thing um, series. Uh, Rangers beat them in six. Um, this was one of those, like the... Um, the Nashville Montreal game, uh, Nashville, um, sorry, Nashville Chicago, Nashville Chicago, where like Chicago kept on shooting, um, and um, I guess there's also Minnesota too. Um, I, actually, I meant that series, the St. Louis uh, Minnesota series, where Minnesota seemed to like have the advantage and all that stuff, but uh, their goalie or Lundqvist in this case. Um, was, like, just unstoppable. Um, he had a 1.7 GAA save percentage of 9.4, uh, 9.47. Lundqvist is uh, back to his old ways, it looks like. Um, Mika Zibanejad has the most points for the Rangers uh, with four points. Um, of course, Carey Price was amazing. So this is, like, you know... Um, so, of course, the uh, the scoring was going to fall for, for the Rangers. But... Um, 
you know, guys like Rick Nash, Zuccarello, uh, Derek Stepan, Grabner, those guys uh, uh, didn't do so well. Of course, as I say, it's Carey Price we're talking about. So, um, of course, there it's a different ball game when we're talking about Craig Anderson. But, um, you know, those guys need to step up if the, the Rangers expect to win. Um it is interesting, Mike, because Benajad is playing against his former team, um, Derek Broussard. Um, but yeah, so this, uh, this we'll talk about the Montreal demise here. Um, this has got to be a disappointing season for Montreal. They, uh, you know, during the off season they traded PK Subban for uh, Shea Weber because they they were in win now mode. They signed Alex Radulov because they felt like that was going to help them, and it kind of did for a bit. He was the only forward to really help them out um, in this series, um, and uh, no one else was really good. It was, uh, it was really only Radulov who was uh, good for them. Um, oh, what, do, what, do, uh, what do the Habs do, uh, Steve? Well, the one thing that they, the Habs were offensively was inconsistent. In game four, we saw that 12 shots in the first they get the exact same amount in the final 40 minutes combined. Their power play 0 for 3, two shots on goal. The score is only 2 to 1. That was a winnable game, though. Like, yeah. given how reliant the Rangers are in those one goal games at home, as a matter of fact, with that one goal win in game four at MSG, all of the Blue Shirts' last 10 wins at home have been decided by a single tally. I can't explain that stat, yeah. but it's incredible just like how reliant they are on getting those one goal wins. The Habs need to eke those out. Game five, it was fairly even. Shots on goal, even at 36 from the first frame into the first OT. Habs out hit the Rangers 51-49. to 49. Both teams blocked 28 shots. But the big difference is the Rangers had 26 giveaways. Habs had just 14. Montreal's yeah. got to make the Rangers pay in that department. And then in overtime, the Canadians were outshot 10-3. And that ultimately led to the game-winning goal by Zibanejad and a 3-2 series deficit. Again, yeah. the Rangers were able to make the Canadians pay. And then you look at Game 6. Rangers only get 23 shots on goal. Zuccarella scores twice. And King Henry comes up big in the third. And that's enough to deliver a 3-1 victory and a 4-2 series win. Yeah. And again, the power play was terrible for Montreal. Habs went 0-3. New York gets three shots on their lone power play. They go 1-1. One and then you just look at the series in general. The Rangers failed to score more than three goals in this series, yet somehow they win four games. Um, so it makes you wonder, who's to blame for Montreal? Well, I wouldn't pin it on Price because his GAA is 1.86. Save yeah. percentage is 9.33. Not on him. Uh, Radulov, seven points in six games, also had 19 hits. He did a lot for this team. The two guys I pin the blame on are Bergevin and Pacioretty. The Habs captain had just one assist in the six-game series. He had zero I, goals. I had he a feeling you were going with that. 28 shots. 28 shots and no goals. But wait, are you blaming him because he didn't get a goal, even though he had by far the most shots on goal? Well, I, I'm, I'm just saying, like... Because that, that, that rings more just that he was unlucky than the fact that he wasn't trying. Of course he's trying. He had oh, 28 yeah, shots. Yeah, like more, like he had nine more than the next guy on the team, Lekkonen, um, in nineteen. I mean, yeah, I mean the onus is on him in terms of he didn't score and he he only had one point, but 
28 shots is 28 shots. Yeah. It's it's just alarming that, you know, with so many shots, you would think that you'd get at least one in. But right, it's just that he was unlocked. it's against King Henrik, in all fairness. King Henrik right. is one of the best in his craft. True, true. I, I'm just but saying, like, captain, I, I feel like that's he's more... Captain, he's got to find a way. I feel like that's more um, a sign of being unlucky than of being, like, it's his fault for yeah. the loss. I, yeah, I wouldn't... That's that's a fair point on your part. Yeah. I should go a bit easier on Patch Ready. I'm, I just I I, just, I, I, I get what you're saying. Is, performer, he's a thirty goal scorer. Yeah. He needs he needs to score. Yeah, that's that's all. But that's like I mean yeah okay. Yeah, but um, Mark Bergevin I think deserves most of this because yeah. he assembled this team. He traded PK Subban for Shea Weber so they could take this next step. He gets Alexander Radulov. It gets him a division title, but not right. past the first round of the playoffs. And he also fired Terry and Flo Julian. Yep. And with Price on the last year of his current contract, it's going to be awfully entertaining seeing how they handle this uh, throughout yeah. the offseason because Carey Price is the guy that, I think for a lot of people, he's the guy that Montreal builds their team around. Yeah, and he I should think be. With, with, with him out of the picture, uh, if he's out of the picture, Montreal's in real trouble. I think they do resign him, but it's just going to be the matter of how much. He's going to be paid a lot. Yeah. Um, and he should be paid a lot. Um, it's just going to be the question on that. I'm actually like looking at their cap-friendly page. Shea Weber, 31 years old. He still has a lot of years left on his contract. Uh, that's going to be... Uh, that's why people said that the Nashville won the trade. Um, because you can thank Philadelphia for that. Exactly. They forced him to sign up to that. Yeah, he's up, he has like... I was just looking. It's absurd. He's being paid. He's like... Six years for seven million? It's like nuts. Um, <laughs> I'm not even. I'm like the opposite of a Habs fan, and like I'm, I'm, I'm angry about that. Um, Andrew Shaw's being paid a lot. Brendan Gallagher's on longer term, but like everyone else is uh, pretty much fair game. I, I would uh, imagine they're gonna pay Radulov more. Um, but yeah, like, that's right. You know, I'm just looking at their roster. It's, like, a lot of, like, guys that are, like, 30 years old or in their late 20s. Um, You know, it's not like they're getting really young. So, um, they might be on the decline. We'll see. But um, it'll be interesting. Do you think – how about this? Uh, Alex Galchenyuk is uh, on his last semester um, term contract. He's going to be an RFA this year. Do you think he, – he didn't play at all, like, um, in the playoffs. It doesn't seem like Claude Julien liked him too much. Um, I don't know. I, I might predict something's going to happen with Alex Galchenyuk. I have a feeling he might be a trade bait for uh, some team to uh, – Yeah, for maybe, like, a star forward on Colorado, which, yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe, maybe some, uh, some French-sounding name guy. A center there, um, yeah. But like that—that that would be a crazy uh, move if they actually dealt Galchenyuk. I feel like that would be the wrong move to do, but I could see it happening. Um, yeah. So uh, I think that's it for them. Uh, let's talk about the uh, R series, uh, the Sens and Bruins. Uh, Sens defeated the Bruins in six. Um, I feel weird talk complaining about the refs and injuries here, um, but because I feel you know that's like the lamest excuse ever. Um, so 
I will say, um, I don't like all the calls that were on the Bruins. I'll just say this, and then we can get it out of the way. Um, all the calls that were that were on the Bruins were fair calls. I'm fine with those, except I feel like the Sens um, got away with a lot more um, than uh, than what they should have. Uh, like In other that, words, what they were calling Boston on, they weren't calling on Exactly. One. Like, it was so, perfect example, especially, like, they were calling them on the overtime thing. So, there's an example, yeah. uh, Bobby Ryan uh, boards uh, Riley Nash. Riley yeah. Nash's punches uh, Bobby Ryan, and somehow the refs only see that, um, and they don't see the roughing call that's an instinct that was the reason why Riley Nash was punching Bobby Ryan. It wasn't like you just all of a sudden started punching a guy. Um, so if you're going to call yeah, Riley Nash... Like right after, it was right after the Ryan hit to like a yeah. split second. It was like, and yeah, literally right after that. So like, I, like I, I'm not going to like defend Riley Nash's actions. Yes, you shouldn't punch a guy. I get that. But you like Bobby Ryan literally boarded him like a second earlier, as you just alluded to. Yeah. Um, there's another one where uh, Krejci gets injured in uh, Game 5 by a knee-on-knee contact. There's no call there. Um, yet, um, in Game 6, Charlie McAvoy uh, trips uh, the other, um, the Sens guy. Uh, he goes falling, and the refs call it right away. It's like, it's just inconsistency. And I'm not even mentioning the two goals in Game 5. Um, that should have counted the, the first, first time, like, bang, yeah, bang. and the, the the first ones in like uh, overtime uh, with uh, you know there was a goalie interference kind of thing. It was like Suedo goalie interference. I felt like Anderson could have made a save. Like, I could see why it could be construed as uh, goalie interference. So I was like, I was like angry, but I was like, eh, all right, it's okay. And then the second time there was like. Like, literally, one of your defensemen, I'm blanking on the name. Pajot. Pajot. Oh, I thought it was a defenseman. He was, like, sitting... He was, like, literally sitting on the puck. And that's at least a penalty shot. Um, so and that... Carrie Frazier backed you up on it on Twitter. Yeah. And, yeah, Carrie Frazier, a former ref, was saying something about, like, that's, that's grounds for a penalty shot. Um, and then... Um, sorry, now you got my bo- bottles... Broiling now. I'm trying to think if I'm... I'm sure there was another number of different things. That being said, uh, the Bruins were down Tory Krug, Brandon Carlo, Adam McQuaid, three of our top six defensemen, one of our best ones with uh, Tory Krug. Um, You know, Carlo was a big part of... or a big reason why our defense was improved this season as well. So, um... So that was it. They couldn't help out. Um, every game went to uh, was a one goal game, and like uh, you know, McAvoy stepped up. Guys like Sean Corrali, who did end up scoring in that a double overtime game in Game Five. So like I could get angry about that, but uh, you know, Sean Corrali got it. Uh, Colin Miller were good. Kevin Miller. The surprise of the century that he's actually a good defenseman. Um, they all get their first playoff experience. So, in that sense, I'm like, 
I'm so excited for the future of our Bruins team. It's like, we get, like, I knew the Bruins weren't going to go far. I thought there was a chance that we could beat the Sens, um, and that would be it. I would be fine with that. But, you know, to take them to six games, and every game being one goals, um, one goal games. Yeah, exactly. Chara was like, a 40-year-old was playing about like 30 minutes every night. Um, yeah, fourth highest ice time, yeah. by the way, Chara, fourth highest ice time out of yeah. any of uh, the players in the playoffs, it's and just, that boy was 10th. It's just like unbelievable, he he deserves all the credit, he, he's underappreciated here. Yeah. Um, same with Tuka, he's he's way more underappreciated. Um, and like, I don't, I, I mean like, we I talked about this in January where, like, I just felt like this team was sucked. You know, there were days where I was just demoralized. I like was yeah. like, oh, this team's going to be out of it. We're a lottery team, whatever. Um, and then just the, the fact that we, uh, you know, we fired uh, Claude Julian. Um, we put in Bruce Cassidy. He went like 18-8-1 uh, to end the season to make us into the playoffs. Um, and then we pushed uh, the Sens to uh, six games. So I'm more than happier than them, which is better than what I can say for Montreal. Yeah. Um, and, um, and I'll, I'll give credit to you guys. I can complain about these injuries and, uh, ref inconsistencies all I want, but, um, you guys, uh, you know, you guys earned it. Bobby Ryan stepped up and earned his contract and Eric Carlson, um, is basically like Bobby Orr reincarnated. So, um, yeah, uh, you can gloat now too. So, uh. Yeah, well, I, I knew this. This why I. By the way, I called it Sens and Six. Yep. I called it. Yep. Which is which is fine because all the other series I butchered completely. <laughs> I mean, that's <laughs> all that matters, with right? With the exception yeah. of Toronto, I got Toronto right. Yep. But uh, we'll we'll talk about that later. Um, yep. The the Sens, like it was a seesaw battle. Okay, yep. this series was a seesaw battle. Game three, perfect example. Ottawa goes up three nothing. I'm thinking, okay, we're in business. Boston ties it at three, and they force overtime. Um, and just, it's, it's, it's remarkable because in game three, the Bruins in the final 40 minutes, they had 10 shots and they get three goals. So yeah. like the Bruins are making the most of their opportunities. Um, and then you look at, um, you look at game four again, it was very close. Ottawa outshot Boston 14 to 12 in the first shots were 13, 10 Ottawa, the rest of the way. So they, they really tightened up defensively, both teams. Uh, McAvoy's 25 minutes and three seconds of ice time in game four. Second to only Cody Cece, who had 34 more seconds of ice time than McAvoy. So, again, McAvoy just a total beast. Yep. Uh, game five sends up 2 nothing. Bruins tied again. Rask unreal in the first overtime, made 13 of his 41 saves. And Mike Felcher be damned. Like, it's Mike Felcher can say whatever he wants. Oh, like, Tuka. Tuka can yeah. Any 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 Tuka haters can shut up right now. It shouldn't even yeah. been a discussion. But um, if yeah. you watch this series and think that Tuka is the problem, you're an idiot. You are, you yeah. already were an idiot, but yeah, this is yeah, like further proof. <laughs> yeah, like the Bruins don't even get the chance to win in overtime, yeah. let alone double overtime. Right. Um, if Tuka's not on his game there, and. Game six, you know, uh, the, the Boston Bruins were up one nothing, but Ottawa had had several chances to put that game away, um, and it, like again, it, 
the, the Bruins gave Ottawa all they could handle. The one the one concern that I have is Ottawa's power play. Um, you look at Game Three; they had eleven shots with the extra man, and they went two for four. Um, in that game, they also cut down on their giveaways. They had twenty-two in Game Two. In Game Three, they had uh, just six giveaways. Uh, game Four. Uh, not much to say about their power play. Uh, game five, I, I mean, the Sens had three late chances to get in on the Bruins with the power play. They didn't do really much of anything with that. And then in game six, first period, Bruins take not one, not two, but three delay of game penalties. And yeah, Ottawa gets nothing. Absolutely nothing. And this power play has been Jekyll and Hyde for years and years now. And and this year it's no different, even with Guy Boucher. So I don't know what they had to do. They have to exercise some demons or whatever. But their power play just has to be consistently spot on if if, if they to have any fair, shot of, at, their, at their second round opponent. But To be fair, to defend that a bit, Chara and Bergeron are like the best penalty killers in history basically but yeah <laughs> well yeah that's true but I, I it's just a, been a recurring theme for them all year okay it's, fair enough they're, they're penalty, they're, they're not not to hype char and bergeron too much but i'm saying like they're they're bruins have a pretty good power penalty kill but yeah okay yeah, fair enough they do but ottawa's got a pretty consistent power play but fair enough what they see the guy what what the guy was doing at game three is insane. A flying saucer pass to Hoffman. A yeah, nice finish by nice. Hoffman. But what a setup by Carlson. Yeah. And even though he doesn't get an assist on the second goal, he starts it all. And then the Bobby Ryan OT winner, he starts that whole thing. He gets another helper yeah, he's there. Been, he's been good. Uh, yeah, he was yeah, great. It's, it's, it's really incredible to watch that guy play. And, and Hoffman, you know, he had his moments in game three. Yeah. Eight shots on goal. I'm he jealous of Eric Carlson. I'm je- jealous that you got to watch Eric Carlson. So, yeah, every game. Yeah, we're, 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 he's a pretty gifted player, no doubt. But yep. the two guys, in my opinion, that really stepped up in this series were Derek Broussard and Bobby Ryan. Did you know that only Evgeny Malkin had more points in the first round than Derek Broussard? Nope. Broussard had eight points. Uh-huh. And he just really seemed Wait. to take take control. Derek Broussard, eight oh, points. Oh, in, the oh in the playoffs. I thought you meant, like, in terms of in the draft class. I was like, that was a vegetable. No, no. No, no. Eight okay. points in the playoffs in the first round. Yep. Uh, Bobby Ryan scored four goals, including two game winners. Puts him in a four-way tie for second in playoff goal scoring. Also has four points with the extra man. Um, I, I, again, it was a very close series, but this was a series of unsung heroes, you know, again. And then, and then of course, like, the end of the series, like, it's it's... You can't script it any better. I mean, Clark MacArthur just comes in after all he's been through this year. Other than Craig Anderson, uh, you know, what he's had to go through. This is probably the biggest feel-good story of the Sens season. Yeah. Nobody thought he was going to come in, let alone play in a playoff series this year. And he comes out and he gets the OT winner. Just an incredible moment for Clark. And, and just like everyone's thrilled for him. It was, you know, other than the odd Bruins fan giving him the middle finger after yeah. the goal. Um, th- there's no better feeling than, than watching yeah, a guy like I gotta, Herbert, Herbert I gotta say, of like, I, you know, as a Bruins fan, I've, you know, I've been fortunate enough to be in the playoffs many times, so this one didn't hurt as bad just because, like, I kind of like you guys. Um, so, uh, but yeah, that Clark MacArthur, yeah. if it had to be anyone on the Sens, I'm really glad that it was Clark MacArthur to uh, finish yeah. it off. 
and not Burroughs. And not Burroughs. Not Bobby Ryan. He was uh, he was brutal there too. But uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was starting to hate Bobby Ryan more. Um, well, actually, I was starting to hate the refs a lot more than yeah. you guys. Um, but yeah, if Burroughs won or Bobby Ryan, I probably would have been furious. Um, yeah. But then again, it's like. You know, I'm just happy that I'm in the playoffs again, so. Yeah. <laughs> um, is that it for for the same? Yeah, I've, I've had my... Uh... You had your spiel? Okay, I had my spiel, you had your spiel. Uh, Rangers and Ottawa preview here. Um, I think the Rangers uh, have the advantage here. Um, I did just mention this is a uh, Mika Zibanejad versus Derek Broussard. They play their yeah. former teams. Uh, you guys traded each other at the beginning of the season. Um, and they both lead their uh, team in uh, points um, at the end of the first round. So oh, yes. that's interesting, too. Um, I, I'm i going to – I'm sorry, Steve. I'm going to go with the Rangers, but I think it's going to be a close all-series. Um, just the fact that you guys – it's more insulting my own team – just the fact that, that the Bruins were injured, um, the Sens, you know, the rest kind of helped you out a bit, yeah. and you guys were still, you know, you could have, like, it could have gone either way for them. Um, and so I feel like the Rangers have the advantage there. But I'm going to go with the Rangers in seven. Yeah, uh, it's at the end. It's going to come down to two things: how bad or good Ottawa's power play is, and yep. how bad or good King Henrik and Craig Anderson are. Because exactly. you look at Henrik's numbers, two hundred six. Yeah, not to take. Craig Anderson was great all series too. Um, I'll yeah, say, uh, but uh, King Henrik was out of his mind. Like yep. two hundred six shots in the half series, stopped all but eleven of them. And he's going to have to be better than he was in round one against Boston. Yep. I hope the Sens get a shot at the conference finals. That's what my heart's praying for. But I'm gonna go with Rangers in seven. Yep. All right. Well, at least you're being honest. Yeah. <laughs> if it was the Bruins, I'd be like, "Oh yeah, Bruins in seven, of course." Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, but, hey, it's fine. the Rangers have been known to really not score in the playoffs, so right. I'm, I'm hoping. I'm it's true. Hoping. Rangers just have to, you know, do well. Um, but uh, speaking of the Bruins, uh, just to end this Bruins seven segment, we have uh, Cassidy needs to be resigned. Um, I could see them going for Sutter. I might be okay with that, but I feel like Cassidy, just the way that he inspired them for the rest yeah. of the season, I feel like he deserves a shot at least for the regular season. I think technically Sutter is the better coach, and so is Billsman, which we'll talk about later, but uh, Cassidy deserves um, at least one more season to see what he does with a full you know, full off season. So we'll yeah. see. Um, and also Pasternak needs to be signed too. Yeah, that um, uh, goes yeah, without that, saying. Yeah, that goes without saying, exactly. Um, Washington, Toronto. Washington wins in six, so this... Called it. Yeah, I thought you... Yeah, I think a lot of people were calling... six. Yeah, I think a lot of people were saying, like, Washington in five, Washington sweeping. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, Toronto gave them a, a lot of money. you got to give them credit. Um, it, was, it went to five overtimes, which yeah, is... all um, six by one goal. Yep, all of them by one goal, um, which is impressive uh, for Toronto. They're going to be scary in a couple of years. Um, but, yeah, it's good for the young guys, Washington. Um, but I think everyone knew that Washington was going to win. Um, yeah, it was a close series. Uh, I don't know. It was an exciting series. It was, I kind of hated that it was always on the same time as the Sens-Bruins because I wanted to watch the Washington-Toronto series. But, yeah. 
Um, yeah, it was a it was a pretty close series though because they always went to overtime and it was exciting. So um, gotta give credit for them. Uh, I think you, you, I assume you have stuff on this. Yeah, uh, games three, games four, uh, both game, both uh, can't talk. Both game three, both game uh, still can't. Uh, games three and four, Washington goes up two nothing in the first five minutes. Game three, uh, Toronto comes back. They win it in overtime. Washington barely hangs on in game four for the five four win. Caps didn't make it easy on themselves at all. And then you look at it in game five, it goes to overtime again. Fortunately, they have Justin Williams. They're yeah. able to get that. It's amazing out. how he's like then, always steps up in the game, like in the playoffs. Yeah. It's amazing every time. And yep. then game six, Austin Matthews gets a fluke goal in the third period. Um, Holby was fairly good in game six. Uh, uh, in the final 63 shots he faces, he stopped 61 of them. So Holby yep. improved as the series got on. And then Marcus Johansson gets two goals, someone other than Justin Williams stepping up. The Caps' depth won them this series. Just like I said it was going to, it was going to come down to their depth, guys. Ovechkin had his moments, Backstrom had his moments, but they neither really dominated this series. And you look at Tom Wilson, who had three goals. In fact, one time he saved a goal, and then he comes back and scores one. Uh, that was back in uh, Game 4, I believe, against Toronto. So it just their depth guys really showed up to play. Um, again, the, the Maple Leafs gave them every everything but the kitchen sink. Um, but Washington just had that experience to get to the next round. But like you said, the Leafs are going to be deadly for years to come. They're going to learn from this. Yep. Um, and I, I, I honestly thought, and I still think, that Washington, um, it, it's really not making it easy on themselves by these close games. And if they're going to get past their, their, their second-round opponent, they're going to need to step it up and take it to another level because I haven't yep. seen them get it to that level yet. Yeah, I don't think they reached the high level if they want to expect to beat the Pens, but we'll see. That brings us to the Pittsburgh-Columbus uh, series. Um, they, Pittsburgh defeated Columbus in five. This was one of those things where I thought pe- most people thought, like, oh, this is like the tail between two, the second-best team and the fourth-best team. Um, you know, of course, this is going seven. It went five. Uh, Bobrovsky didn't really play as well as he should have if he, uh, you know, if he wanted to win. But, uh, yeah, Pittsburgh won. Uh, I think we alluded to this before. Malkin has 11 points. Uh, Broussard, the closest point scorer, has six. So he's been hot, Malkin. Um, yeah, so, uh, I think that's about it for that. I mean, I think we all predicted that Pittsburgh was going to win everything. Yeah. Um, I thought I thought it was going to take seven games, but uh, yeah, yeah Gensel and Crosby like. But I think we all expected game. Pittsburgh was going to win. Although I think I predicted seven as well. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, sorry. You, you but know. yeah, it's, it, it's the tandem of Gensel and Crosby was the big story heading yep. into Game Four. Like they were involved in the same goal four times in the first three games. At least one of them was involved in six of the Penguins' last yep. nine goals heading into Game Four. Uh, and you look at Nick Benino at, at the, before the start of Game Four. He was fourth in the league in defensive zone faceoff wins with 18 in these playoffs. Yeah. Um, but the Blue Jackets just came out firing. Um, Carlson, Jenner, Nuti, Barra all had one of each. Yep. Anderson a goal. Calvert one assist. Quincy had one assist. Their depth guys. Jake Gensel had there. five goals. Yeah. Brian Russ uh, had four goals. Yeah. 
Yeah, Brian Brian Rust was a, another big part of that uh, Penguins yeah. team as well. The thing, um, sorry, yeah, it's it, it's it's just it's just the tandem of Crosby and Gensel. Like in that game four, Gensel, yeah. um, Crosby was pointless. Jake scored a shorthanded goal in like let the final minute of regulation. Yeah. So that that was really the key in this series was how good Gensel and Crosby were. And you look at the fact that Columbus in three of the five games they only gave the puck away twice. Yep. And the most they had was five, and they did that twice. Yeah. And yet, they, they're still out in five games. And again, it goes back to that experience. But you look at also Malkin, like five of 11 points in five games for him. Um, yeah. Marc-Andre Fleury, um, he had to face 51 shots in game five. He was unreal for Pittsburgh. Yeah, that's um, the one question mark for me in Pittsburgh is, will Marc-Andre Fleury be the guy... If Murray isn't, if Matt Murray isn't back, um, yeah, you know, because Flurry has a history of choking in the playoffs, so um, we'll see if that like has an effect. And Washington isn't like an easy team to beat, so um, yeah, it, I, I'll, I'll be curious to see if Murray comes back if he's healthy enough to be good enough, you know, to be capable. Um, and and if Murray isn't back, will Flurry be that guy? Um, yeah, there, my, and there was there was also a couple of that would be my only concern for Pittsburgh. I yeah, think. and there was also a couple of calls that went against Columbus yep. too, like the the three three goal, like that happened after oh, the yeah, whistle yeah. went. But like Wenberg is pushed into Flurry by Wilson. That's yep. not goalie interference. There's not too much you can do there. And of course, Pittsburgh scores on the power play, like right after that. Yeah. So that that pretty much buried them too, but. It'll be interesting to see how Columbus manages their cap because you look at a guy like Gagne who got 50 points. He made 650 grand. He's probably going to want a lot more than that. Uh, Josh Anderson had 17 goals. He's an RFA. Um, Wenberg's an RFA as well. He had 59 points in 80 games. Dubinsky and Hartnell both have no movement clauses. Atkinson and Saw do not. Which of those guys are they going to choose to protect and how do they deal with Dubinsky and Hartnell? They have a lot of question marks on Columbus, but yep. um, it, it's pretty tough to beat a team like Pittsburgh, you know, that has so much depth, and, yeah. and when Malkin gets 11 points, that's that's really tough to yeah. win. Um, so, preview, uh, Pittsburgh-Washington, like, yeah, Pittsburgh is the hotter team, but I think, I don't know, I, I've been feeling Washington all, se- uh, all season, I feel like they finally get it together and they beat Pittsburgh. But it's going to be tough. I'm going to say they're going to win in seven. Washington in seven. Yeah, I picked the Cavs to win it all, and they're the only one of my final four that are still alive, <laughs> so they better win. Uh, my... Like I said, I think, I think it's going to take seven games. It's going to hinge on Matt Murray's health yeah. and whether or not he's back. I also hinges on what brain, version of Brain Holpe we're going to see. Like I said, yep. stop 61 of the last 63 shots in the Leafs series. He needs to be lights out for the Cavs. Yeah, um... I have three of my four Final Four, so still alive, so I'm good. But yeah, I picked I picked the Hawks, the Sharks, and the Canadians, and all. Yeah, them. my I had Caps, Ducks, Blues, um, and the Habs are the only team that I don't have. So I'm glad I don't. I mean, oh, I'm glad I'm wrong in that. So for the Habs, <laughs> um, let's go to the rapid fire, Billsma. Bills, I don't know, is it Bills? Dan Bilesma. Bilesma. Yeah, I knew I was pronouncing that wrong. Dan Bilesma and Tim Murray uh, of the Sabres, uh, they just got fired. Um, a day before, there was a report 
that Jack Eichel said that he would not sign in a contract extension if uh, Dan Bilesma was still the coach. Um, and then, like, an hour later, the Eichel's agent said this wasn't true. Even Eichel went public and said this wasn't true. And then the next day, um, it was fired. They were fired. Bilesma and Tim Murray were fired. Um, it might be a coincidence, but it's kind of hard to see that just because, like, this was, like, two weeks after the season is over, you know, mm-hmm. usually this is something that's like, you know, when teams fire their GM and coach, that's usually something they decide about, like, at the like the exact end of the season, you know. So, I don't know. I feel like this may have been Eichel's, like, this report of Eichel, regardless if it's true or not. Um, I think... Eichel had some influence in this. Um, however, he did say Dan Bilesma. I don't know if he said Tim Murray. Um, so there is, like, I don't know, there's some leeway to say, like, maybe it wasn't Eichel. But I'm going to lean towards what I think Eichel had something to do with this. Um, now, whether I feel like Bilesma should have been fired. Um, like there were reports that Eichel was speaking up for all his teammates, like a lot of the star players, like O'Reilly, Eichel, mm-hmm. um, Ocposo, definitely Sam Reinhardt. There was that, you know, we were we reported that yeah. with um, him being benched um, throughout the entire game. Rest, you know, Ristolainen, and they all had problems with Bilsma, you know, behind closed doors. So. It isn't surprising that this happened, I guess, but, um, and you know, the Sabres should have been better than, I was looking here, they were in last place in the Atlantic Division, Um, so, I don't know, maybe, and it's just really like, Bilsma has the, uh, has a cup, but maybe he's just, just wasn't the right coach for them. Um, Yeah, I'm sure you have something to say about this. (laughs) Yeah, um... Uh, the fact is, Tim Murray made it pretty clear, Dan Bilesma is my guy. Right. So my thought process is, I don't think it has much to do with Tim Murray. I think Tim Murray was set in his own ways, and he said, look, Bilesma is my guy. Yeah. And if, if Terry Pagula said otherwise, then if he wasn't budging, yeah. then he was probably going to go along with Bilesma. So, right. Uh, I think I think it was more of a problem with Bilesma. If Eichel had a problem, it was probably more with Bilesma. I think, yeah, Bilesma. but like, like, let's say Eichel, like the story didn't come out with Eichel. Do you think Bosma and Murray get fired the next day? It's it's really tough to say because certainly the coincidence, you're right, like that the fact that this happens twenty four hours right. after the big hammer is dropped in yeah. Buffalo. Yeah, I was uh, like I'm like I'm I'm like fifty fifty on this because I feel like if Bilsma Balsma I keep on pronouncing it wrong. Yeah. Balsma gets fired, just him, then I think Eichel had something to do with this. But yeah. if it's but it's also Tim Murray, I don't know. It's just it's 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 a little weird. Um, but maybe not. I don't know. And also, like uh, Daryl Sutter and Dean Lombardi were fired uh, yeah. before, so maybe this had something yeah. to do with it. But that's only if they go and get those two um, to replace them. So um, 
that'll be remains to be seen. So if the, if it was intentional, then we'll see them get picking up, you know, Sutter and um, Lombardi. But um, I don't know. Uh, it will be interesting. I feel yeah, like. And, sorry, what, what's also interesting is the there's only so much Bilesman can do. He had to deal with yeah. a lot of injuries too, including right, Eichel to Goddard. And, yeah. and you also look at Leonard, who came to Bilesman's defense a few times, or at least defended his coaching system. Yeah. So I don't think it was every single guy in the team, if that's the case, that wanted Dan out. Yeah. And I was reading an article from TSN. I originally thought the timing was pretty strange, but um, everyone's, you know, with everything happening so quickly, of course people are going to wonder if Eichel wanted a new face. But he made it clear yeah. in the TSN article all he wanted was change. He wanted more of a winning atmosphere or more of it. And he says the teammates wanted the same thing. They want to be better. And yeah. when you put all your blood, sweat, and tears into that culture and the winning isn't coming, it's frustrating, especially yeah. when you look at Edmonton, who's turned the corner and are in round two of the playoffs right now. They yeah. did all that in, in, in one or right. two years. And, and, and like Toronto at, made the playoffs. The, well, from, yeah. Yeah. And Buffalo's not even in the playoffs. Like, So right. what if they went from just over 50 to 81 points in a year? They're yeah. 78 this year it's not a big drop but still right. a bit of a drop but like a lot of that could could be explained by like injuries you know Eichel was injured for half the year yep. O'Reilly was injured for half the year um Ocposa was tor- injured towards the end of the year I feel like if those guys were healthy they could have competed for a playoff spot for sure um but yeah you're right it's I, like I, it's one of those things. I think it's more you're right and you alluded to this I think the fact that Lombardi and Sutter are available had an impact but yeah. hasn't made the playoffs for a sixth straight year. Dean Lombardi yeah. and Daryl Sutter won two cups. Buffalo yeah. doesn't have that. They don't have a championship winner. Yeah. These guys want to be winners. The but, fans want a winner. Yeah, but I will say that that's the only the only way that it could be true is if they sign them, you know, right away or this, sometime this week. Um, yeah. Otherwise, and, and then I, I feel I, like Eichel had something to do with it. Yeah, although if they hire Daryl Sutter, I yeah. don't know if it's really something to do with what Jack Eichel said because if they don't like the way Bilesma coaches, what makes you think they're going to like the way Daryl Sutter approaches true, the game? True. I think he's going to be twice as hard on those guys. True. I mean, maybe that's something they want, though. They want like someone who, like, I mean, two cups is better than one cup. I don't know. Yeah, um, but it's safe to say Buffalo needs to be pushed. These guys and, need to be pushed, well, and was, that's the only way they're going to win is if they're true. pushed. Um, I was going to mention that uh, their defense isn't that great either, so they need to fix their defense. And their penalty kill is atrocious. Their, their power play is great, but their penalty yeah. kill is atrocious. So I think they need to fix that too. It's not It's not like an easy fix for that. And um, we all know how good Daryl Sutter is coaching defense, right? Yeah. Speaking about the Kings and Daryl Sutter, uh, the LA Kings hired John Stevens. Um, he previously uh, was the coach of the Devils. I don't think you did too well for the Devils, um, but uh, no, that's John Hines that you're thinking of, who's still their coach. Oh, am I thinking of someone uh, else? <laughs> he, he was the previous coach of the Flyers. He coached yes, them from 2006 to 2009, okay. and he and he, uh, and he went to the Eastern Conference Finals with Philly in 2008. Has 122 NHL wins on his resume. Uh, he also was an interim coach with the Kings after Terry Murray was fired and later Daryl Sutter came in to replace him. Uh, okay. He played, he coached four games for the Kings. He went two and two during that stretch. Yep. Guess who didn't do his research? This guy. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm just looking at his, uh, his He coached now. for a metropolitan team in all yeah. fairness. Yeah. I was thinking, yeah, <laughs> he, he did coach for the Flyers, but yeah, you're right. 
But he didn't do so well in the Flyers. He, uh, oh, oh, actually. He was fired before they made it to their final run in in 2010. Although he did, he did make the playoffs twice. So there's that 99 points in, uh, in 2008. So, yeah, so that's not terrible. Um, yeah, uh, is that? I think that's it. I, I don't. It could be a good move for them. We'll see. Um, it'll be interesting. Uh, John Henderson, who's a linesman, um, is suing the Flames and Dennis Weidman. Uh, last year, Dennis. Um, there was an incident where Dennis Weidman like uh, hit the ref or Don Henderson, um, and Don Henderson is suing them. So uh, this should be an interesting case. I don't know if he has any grounds. Um, per se, but um, it should be interesting to see what uh, what happens in there. Yeah, just taking a look at an article from the CBC last week, the claim states Henderson was defenseless and that Dennis, quote, intentionally and deliberately struck him. Uh, the senior official has a laundry list of emotional and physical injuries as a result of the on-ice incident, or so it goes. Yeah. It includes a head injury slash concussion surgery to his neck uh, to uh, repair a neck injury, a back injury, a shoulder injury. Jeez. Pain and numbness in his right arm and his and his right hand, a right knee injury, headaches, and anxiety and depression. Uh, he's also had to seek physiotherapy, medica- meditation, and psychological counseling uh, during his recovery process. That has been a year now, just over a year since it happened. Uh, he's suing the Flames and Weidman for $10 million, which represents the amount of potential income he did not get as a result of Mr. Weidman's actions. He's also seeking $250,000 for general and special damages. As of last Wednesday, no statements of defense were filed. The allegations have not been proven in court. Neither side has commented. That's interesting. I don't know if what's going to happen there, but I guess there is some grounds for it. But I feel like it seemed unintentional. I guess it all depends on how yeah, intentional check it was. from behind where the puck's nowhere near the linesman. Yeah. yeah. And he's not on any team. I mean, it's it's tough to argue how un, unintentional that was, but true. Yeah, I mean, I think that, I think that that's what it comes down to is how intentional was it? If it was intentional, yeah. Or not, and if if Weidman was in the frame of mind, because he because he right. he suffered a concussion. People forget that Weidman yeah, suffered a true. concussion. Like they they might argue, you know, he wasn't in the right frame of mind yeah. or something. Or, the con- concussion defense. Yeah, I guess you could do that. Yeah. Um. That's out of our hands. We're not lawyers. <laughs> no, we're not lawyers. Yeah, no, I know. I, I'm just curious. And this is all speculation, of course. So yeah, yeah. Um, right. Nor speaking of some speculation now. Uh, so the nor uh, some awards were handed out. Um, you mentioned uh, before to me, but I didn't think it was too big of a deal to put it on here. But I guess might as well. Um, the award show is going to be on the same day as the expansion draft for L- Las Vegas. Um, I don't think any of these players that are nominated will be there. They won't go to Las Vegas right away. Um, It'd be either. interesting to see if they did, though. Yeah, it would like, be you just funny. Just award five minutes later, you yeah. get drafted by me. But yay. I don't. I don't think that's going to happen because either you know because they, they you know they get nominated for an award. Why would teams uh, expose them? Um, yeah. Norris Trophy. Uh, we talked about this before. I mean, Eric Carlson. Brent Burns uh, and Victor Hedman are the nominees. It's really like a two-person race between Burns and Carlson. Um, if this was awarded now, I would have given the Norris to Eric Carlson. He had a better playoffs, but 
Um, I have a feeling it's going to go to Burns. To be fair, Dowdy was knocked out of round one by Brent Burns and his Sharks. Yep. And he wasn't the better defenseman in that series, yet he still won it last year. So I don't know how much of a factor playoff success No, it doesn't because they've already already voted for it before the playoffs started. But I'm saying, like, if if the playoffs were included, I think everyone would uh, put in Carlson. But, um, yeah, Brent Burns, uh, I have a feeling Burns will win just because um, he had, like, a – some campaign going about it, but um, I, I think it should be. I'm on. I'm on Team Carlson. After that series, I'm now on Team Carlson, Steve. So, I uh, there there is some um, benefit for you. Um, I will give. I will give credit to Burns. Finalist yeah. for a second straight year. The Sharks took 223 more sh- uh, shot more shots than they allowed with Burns on the ice in five on five situations, yeah. which is very impressive. Um, another two-person race uh, in the Calder Trophy. It's uh, Austin Matthews, Patrick Laine, and Zach Wierenski. Uh Two Americans, uh, but it's really between uh, Austin Matthews and Patrick Laine. Um I think this is all Austin Matthews, even though Patrick Laine has, I think he has, like, more goals per game or something like that. But, um... Uh, yeah, I think it's it has to be Austin Matthews here. Um, so your mind's been changed, eh? You think Matthews is going to win? Yeah, yeah. I it's like it's tough because I feel like Patrick Line like went on a slump towards the end of the season. Yeah. So I, I, you have to do Austin Matthews here. It's not like I you know got to give it to the American here. It's all American yeah. bias here. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I think I think Matthews gets it too. It wouldn't surprise me yeah. if Line got it, but I think Matthews exactly. Wins. Um, and kudos for Zach Wierenski. I thought, uh, I thought maybe there was a chance that Marner or Nylander were going to get that lost spot, but, um, I guess they kind of canceled each other's out. So, um, yeah, Wierenski's in there. He deserves it though. Um, actually, did you see what Wierenski said about this, uh, race? He, uh, she was asked like, what, uh, what do you think? Like, what did you tell Austin Matthews? And he said, like, he asked if he could write his speech for him, his acceptance <laughs> speech, which I thought was funny. Um, it's, uh, us Americans, we're very uh, selfish. Um, Sel- uh, Selkie uh, nomination is uh, Patrice Bergeron, Ryan Kessler, and Miku Ko- Koivu. Is it Miku Koivu? Yeah. Miku Koivu, Koivu yeah. Um, I-, I wasn't sure if it was his brother's. Saku, but Saku, I don't think yeah, he's, no, he's been, been, he's been out of the league for a while. Saku, yeah, yeah, so Miku Kobe. Um, I, you know me, I, I would, I think it's, I want it to be Bergeron. He should win. I don't know if he will win. I remember last year he got robbed by Kopadar, but um, he had a kind of a, a rough year or down year. Um, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if Kessler wins it or Koivu. Well, uh, I read this article on CSNNE.com. On top of the fact he's played in 100 career playoff games, this is six straight nomination. He joined Bob Ganey as the only player to win the award four different times if he gets it this year. He led the league in draws taken and draws won for a third straight year. And while Kessler and Koivu 
um, have had pretty good years. I can't see anyone beating Bergeron. I think this is his award to lose. Yeah. It's just that he had, like, a bad first half. He um, did have a bad first half, but he rebounded very nicely. True, true. So, so that, that, that's my only, like, I agree with you. I felt like he should have won last year, and he didn't. But um, So that's why I'm, like, a little recognizant of if he will win this year. But um, we'll see. So uh, I hope I hope you're right. I hope Bergeron wins easily, but we'll see. Uh, that ends our show. Um, uh, we actually do have one more, Vesna Trophy. Oh, did I miss that? Okay, I thought I, I thought um, I got all the words. If you want, if you want, I can quickly mention that. No, it's fine. Go ahead. What, what okay, you, so Bobrovsky, Holby, and Price—they're your three nominees. Where the heck no, is Cam fine. Talbot, though? He yeah, played true. over seventy games, big part of the Oilers' run. How is he not on this list? Well, maybe he'll win this, the Conn Smythe. <laughs> yeah, he might win the Conn Smythe. Uh, this is why, though, I think uh, I read an article um, from the Hockey News. Um, at the end of Thursday's playoff schedule, it says, quote, at the end of Thursday's playoff schedule, which included Columbus's elimination game in Game 5, Bobrovsky faced more high-danger scoring chances than any goalie in the 2017 postseason field. 37 high-danger scoring chances against Bobrovsky. So that's high-end opportunities. Um, that's more than seven per game. And while he posted an ugly 7.30 save percentage against those attempts in the regular season, he posted an 8.64 yeah. high danger save percentage, which bested every starting goalie in the league not named Carey Price. Right. And it's pretty tough to leave Holtby off that list as well, even if the Caps are as strong and as loaded offensively. So I can understand why they left off Cam Talbot, but still, um, he played well enough to deserve at least a nomination. So it's, yeah. it's unfortunate for Talbot, but it's it's tough to leave off Bobrovsky, Price, and Holby on any of these. So yeah, I, um, I, I, I at the same time I think they got it right. I just feel really bad for Cam Talbot. Yeah, I can see that. Um, I thought I mean you could make a case for Craig Anderson even, but um, yeah, although he played yeah, half the year, I think if he year. played a, a bigger workload of games, yeah, maybe True. put him into consideration. I think. Bill Masterton Trophy, definitely he's going to be... Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, he's he's like a, front yeah, no, no other team should even try to do that for that. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I think you're right. I'm actually looking now. Yeah, Bob, Bobrovsky has... Leads the... He led the regular season in both save percentage and goals against. So, um, yeah, I think you're right. Uh, I think Bobrovsky's... Bobrovsky's yeah, I think Bobrovsky should win, yeah. Uh, Twitter... Laysim Podcast, at Laysim Podcast. Uh, our Facebook is Laysim Up. Our, um, our SoundCloud, uh, you're probably listening to this right now on SoundCloud. Uh, but yeah, go to subscribe there at Laysim Up. Um, or on iTunes, subscribe to us on iTunes, rate us five stars. Um, or not, if you hate us, don't, don't rate, don't bother. Um, I think that's Unless it. you have some good, valuable advice. We'll take good, yeah, valuable advice. Yeah, that's true, I guess. But who knows? <laughs> Anything to make us better, yeah. Yeah. Um, it just helps for visibility's sake. But, um, yeah. and if, if you have, okay, how about this? If you have feedback on us, email us at laceupbag at gmail.com. Um, yeah, that'd, that'd be appreciated. Or even questions that you want shared that uh, we can talk about, um, discuss. Um, that's it. I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. Just a quick programming alert. I'm going to be trying to schedule um, a one-on-one interview with Colin Teske. He works at Extra 90.5 in Peterborough, Ontario. He's a color commentator for the Peterborough Peets. 
Uh, probably going to talk about the Pete season. Uh, they're in the conference finals right now against the Mississauga Steelheads in the OHL. Um, the Eastern Conference Finals, that is. Yes, we're going to be talking about NHL hockey, but uh, I think it's going to be a very valuable conversation yep. that I'm sure you guys would love to hear. So uh, we're going to try and work something out there, put it on uh, the website as a separate episode, perhaps. Uh, so yep. when I know more out. about that, we will talk. Um, well, when, when I know more about that, when we got something concrete, I'll be sure to keep you guys in the loop. Yep. In the meantime, we'll talk again in episode 75, where we'll be well into round two on the Lace Em Up podcast. Yep.